0: Hello everyone and welcome to Pardon My Pancreas. My name is Matt Vandevecht, and I'm a certified trainer and nutritionist, one of your hosts today and the other host is Ali Abdul Karim. He is a social media influencer, an incredible guy and we are both type 1 diabetics here to share our knowledge and experiences with you. We occasionally interview people. That are very knowledgeable in the diabetic world, sometimes doctors, sometimes influencers, people living with it. And this episode is brought to you by FTF Warrior, an online health coaching company for diabetics. And we will go further by saying this is not medical advice in any manner. We are not doctors. We will never be doctors. And nothing said on this podcast is meant to replace your doctor's order. So consult your doctors before you make changes. Without any further ado, let's get into... Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pardon My Pancreas podcast. We have a really fun topic today talking about pregnancy and diabetes. But what's even more fun is our guest today. We have Carrie Sparling on line. I would love if before we get started, she could tell us a little bit about herself.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so I guess it's obvious that I would have diabetes, right, for this podcast?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> so I was diagnosed with type 1 when I was 7, and now I'm not 7. And so I've had type 1 for over 32 years and i feel like it's been just that thing that i bring everywhere with me and it gets a little annoying but i've had a really good experience in the diabetes online community which i've been a part of for the last 14 or 15 years and just kind of connecting with my peers and getting to hang out with other people who don't make their own insulin is very empowering for me so that's what brings me into this sort of space and what i'm hoping brings me on the podcast with you today
0: i love it and uh you mentioned that you've only been part of the diabetic community for i think you said 14 years is that right mm-hmm. Yep. What was the initial step that brought you into the diabetic community?
1: Um, I get, well, being aware like, of it. Like the true origin was that I got <laughs> diabetes, and I went, "Oh man, I can't be the only one who has this." Uh-huh. And so this was back in 2005, where I was, I was looking for people who weren't like um, a list of Mayo Clinic symptoms or complications related to diabetes. I wanted to find people who were actually living with it, and that prompted me to go mm-hmm. online. And look for those people and I couldn't find them. And again, this was in 2005. And so I thought, well, if I share my story, there's got to be someone out there that's looking for it, right? Like at least one other person. It turns out there were hundreds of other people. So instead of just being one person who was sharing uh, their story, now there's like truly countless numbers of people who are willing to be vulnerable and put their health and their feelings about their health online for other people to look at and go, you know what? Yeah, me too. And I feel like that's really, really powerful.
0: Absolutely. It's incredible. And uh, I myself also didn't even know about the online space of diabetics for a number of years while Mm -hmm. having diabetes, you know, feeling alone and then finding this massive community. It's incredible.
1: It's Um, awesome.
0: Yeah. It's something I wish I knew about earlier, honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think there was a whole
1: lot (laughs) earlier when I started. So I think I had to kind of help some of the mess so that other people could find me and others and you and like the whole thing. So it's really become a nice snowball of of like fake insulin.
0: (laughs) It's very true (laughs) that Snowball has turned into an entire massive worldwide community. So it's incredible. Mm -hmm. So we uh, will jump into the topic today of pregnancy and diabetes. And since you've had diabetes for most of your life, did you ever Mm -hmm. wonder what it might be like to start a family as a type 1 diabetic while you were growing up?
1: So like I mentioned, I was diagnosed when I was seven. So I remember um, being told I had diabetes and then being left in this weird purgatory of, well, that's a weird word. I don't know what that means. And I'm not sure even how to feel about it because I had no context for it. I didn't know what diabetes was. No one in my family has diabetes. And the internet wasn't a thing back then. So you wouldn't just go and slap that word into Google and get some information. So I was meh about the whole thing. They said it was a chronic illness that was okay because I really didn't know what that was either. The thing that bothered me most was they kept busting out these needles and telling me to put them into my skin. That wasn't awesome. (laughs) But again, there was an adjustment period, but I didn't have a good kind of feel on what having this forever would be like. But my mother and my father who were in the room when I was diagnosed had a better sense of that. And I remember, I don't remember this, but my mother said that the clinicians told my mother when she asked them if um, pregnancy was possible for me when I was older, they didn't make it seem impossible, but they made it seem like I should be deterred from making that sort of decision that my way of starting a family would probably be healthier and safer if I opted for non-biological routes. And then they got into whole discussions about adoption for people with you know, chronic illness. And just, it seemed like a hornet's nest that I wasn't aware of, but my mom was very aware of it. And so I didn't start thinking about having my own kids until I was a whole lot older. And that's actually what prompted me to want to go on an insulin pump. I don't know if you want to get into that sort of stuff later, but at diagnosis, I didn't want to have kids. I was a kid. So it took me a long time to grow into <laughs> the whole, hey, I'd like to have a family. And then, oh, wow, what does that actually mean with diabetes?
0: Wow. So at what age would you say you started thinking about that?
1: 24 or so. And and that was, I remember specifically uh, being with a partner who wasn't interested in having children. And I was like, oh, I guess that doesn't really matter to me. But then over time, that maternal instinct really started to come to bloom for me. And that's what kind of prompted me to uh, switch gears entirely and, and start a new relationship.
0: Wow. And uh, you mentioned switching over to an insulin pump. What age did you make that switch? And was it just for pregnancy? At 24. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was uh, when I was diagnosed in 86, I was put on regular and NPH insulin. And those insulins are insulin, but they were causing low blood sugars in me that were devastating for my family. Like my mother was scraping me off the floor, It was really hard to match food to insulin because now we have the opportunity to match insulin to our lives. So we're not chasing the tail of our Mm -hmm. insulin and kind of matching our food to it. We get to go in reverse, which is a lot better for quality of life. Um, And so, but I was having these really bad lows in the morning. And I remember speaking with my clinician about it, saying, I don't want to have a baby now. And I don't want to have a baby for years. But I do want to find a way to get my A1C into a safe range for having a child without being scraped off the floor all the time with hypoglycemia Mm -hmm. that just felt so dangerous. Not pregnant, but I could imagine myself pregnant going that that's, that's got to be even tougher if you're really low and very pregnant. Yeah. so she talked to me at the time about using an insulin pump where I could titrate my basal rates, give me a little more or less when I needed it, so that I could go for those A1 Cs that were in the lower range without sacrificing my uh, hypoglycemic control, you know so I wasn't just low all the time and having that feed my A1c and so that's what prompted the decision to go on a pump
0: Oh wow, and uh, if you don't mind me asking, what was your first pump?
1: My first pump was a Medtronic 512, I think it was, I think it was called a paradigm and it was smoke colored. And I felt like that was so cool to look through the catalog and say, I'm picking the smoke colored pump. Cause there were like two other com- uh, color pumps. I was like, ah, I don't really want one of those, but I want this one that looks like a secret agent sort of device, <laughs> and the, which was cool. Right. And so I was in my twenties at the time and for all of the time beforehand, I hadn't had any external symptom of diabetes. There weren't any devices. Right. I took injections when I looked at myself in the mirror. There was no diabetes stuff staring back at me. And so to put on Mm. that pump for the first time was really humbling. And then it was even more humbling to realize that even with that stuff stuck to me, I was still me. There was this symptom maybe that people could see and maybe it disclosed diabetes for me instead of me having the opportunity to do that disclosure on my own. But man, like I felt like I was taking a really big step forward in owning this and not caring as much what other people thought and instead pursuing what my goals were.
0: Wow. That's powerful.
1: It sounds really intense. I've had a lot of
0: coffee, <laughs>
1: but I don't so, feel like pumping is for everybody. I like that there are people can choose to do that. They can choose what methods they use to control their diabetes because you can't like unchoose diabetes, but you can choose the way that you facilitate this whole mess. And I like that. I like that pumping was an option.
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I myself just moved over to a pump about a year ago, so I'm discovering mm-hmm. the amazing flexibility of the pump. And it's a whole new world that I've had to get used to, but. You know, while having it connected to me is a little bit frustrating, it's amazing to have mm-hmm. that control. So, yeah, yeah. pros and cons. <laughs> nice to have options.
1: Nice to have options. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. So, I hope you're ready to get personal with a couple of pregnancy questions. <laughs> We're going to hit next. So
1: I feel suddenly nervous.
0: All right. No, you shouldn't feel nervous. <laughs> uh, so I guess the first question would be: Was it difficult to prepare for the pregnancy as a diabetic? Yes and no. Like preparing your body and blood sugars and all that Yeah, kind of stuff.
1: so I historically, my A1Cs have always comfortably settled in the very low sevens, which I was okay with, um, but my clinician was like, you need to get into this specific range for pregnancy. So I always felt like I was trying to be greenlit like a movie by my doctor to get pregnant, which is a very strange <laughs> dynamic because I always felt like pregnancy would be a discussion between my husband and I, not my husband and I, and oh yeah, my endocrinologist. So it was weird to bake her <laughs> into the whole equation. But um, when my husband proposed, we started planning a wedding and also preparing for pregnancy because I didn't know what it was going to be like to make that leap. I didn't know if I would have trouble getting pregnant. I didn't know if I would have trouble bringing my A1C down. And I also didn't want to take the risk because I had the opportunity to try to plan for a pregnancy. I wanted to make sure that I was in a range I was comfortable with before I even gave it a go, you know? And so we did the whole wedding planning thing and we spent a year married and then we decided to try for, um, for our daughter. And We were very, very lucky to have no trouble conceiving her, Um, and then we were like thrown right into the whole. Hey, you want to have a baby? Oh my god, we're having a baby! Like that was a very shocking. There was no lead up to it. It All of a sudden, it was happening. Oh man! Uh, But it was exciting, and I think I can remember so much of it clearly now. The excitement of, oh, we're going to be parents, and then you kind of there's a beat, and then you go, oh my god, we're going to be someone's parent. Like that's (laughs) (laughs) so. (laughs) That was scarier than diabetes and pregnancy. The prospect of having to raise the child. But I forgot to think about that part. And I just focused solely on the pregnancy.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard not Mm -hmm. to say we've told many, uh, many things we should be wary about as diabetics. And one of them is definitely pregnancy. So um, Mm -hmm. what were your biggest fears going into it?
1: What was weird that as as soon as I was pregnant with my daughter, um, diabetes wasn't just mine anymore. And like, I remember my mom saying things when I was Mm -hmm. growing up, like it's, We need to check our blood sugar and it's our diabetes and we care about your health. And that felt like a unified force. And then when I got married to my husband, Chris, it was like, oh, well, we need to do this as a team. And that felt good too. But when I was pregnant with my daughter, it was the first time that my diabetes directly affected and impacted and influenced the creation of another person. So it felt really shared. And it wasn't just that my blood sugar was 40. It's that our blood sugar felt collectively 40 or my blood sugar was 200. That meant her blood sugar was high too. And the stress of that was really, that was the toughest part throughout all of my pregnancies was knowing that every move I made affected someone that I already loved and affected them directly. And so that was scary in its own right, but also it served as the greatest impetus for me to take good care of myself because I knew I could do it for 40 weeks or less. I knew... That there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Once the kid is born, they are absent my womb, and then like I can be two hundred by myself. But so I only had yeah. that set amount of time, and it was a little easier to really be fastidious about it because I knew it event- eventually would culminate in the hopefully healthy birth of my kids.
0: Wow! Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. Um, and I, you know, I'm not a woman, so. <laughs> but thinking, you know, your blood sugar is welcome blood to sugar. the other side. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, an incredible way of looking at it. And I think very important to have that mindset too, that whatever you do to yourself is also affecting your future child. Wow,
1: sure. And but you can take that guilty spin, or you can take that okay, diabetes is tough every day. But I only have to do it this kind of tough for this amount of time, right? There is an end to this like intense mental thing.
0: Yeah which that's
1: which is comforting when you're like 38 weeks pregnant going oh my god
0: <laughs> <laughs> almost there just keep pushing <laughs> yeah right
1: <laughs> exactly
0: Oh man, was there a reward at the end of the tunnel outside of the amazing reward of your child? Obviously, but was there like a donut or a waffle? What Was like your, <laughs> I don't care how high this spikes me, I'm going for it.
1: <laughs> you know, dude. Like the thing is, is when I was growing up. So I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Steel Magnolias*. Have you? I'm sure you've heard of it I've heard in of the it. diabetes space, right? Yeah. All right, so it's not. I mean, it's a great. And anyone listening to this, sorry for the spoiler alert, but <laughs> you're probably not being alerted to any real spoilers. Um, it's. It was the first like media example I had of a diabetic pregnancy. Hmm. And in the movie and it's a true story which makes it extra heartbreaking, but in the movie and in the play, the diabetic woman gets pregnant, she has a child, things get complicated and she eventually passes away as a result of complications due to her diabetic pregnancy. That's how it's kind of couched. Wow. And so that was that was the perception of a diabetic pregnancy or a pregnancy with diabetes depending on how you want to say it, I that I grew up with. And so when my kid was born, when my first was born, it wasn't like a donut that I was in pursuit of. It was I was really in pursuit of changing the narrative of what a pregnancy with diabetes would look like. I was so disheartened when people would say, but have you seen stale magnolias? As I was walking towards them so happily pregnant and so proud of the control I was taking and so happy to meet my kid. And they immediately wanted to cast their, like this is why it's going to be awful and what a terrible decision you've made. So I wanted people to maybe think of people like me when they thought of a pregnancy with diabetes instead of always going back to that one example where things truly went wrong in truth but things have changed over the last 30 years so there was hope baked into pregnancy and i wanted people to think of that
0: absolutely so that
1: was kind of the light at the end of the tunnel that wasn't related to like diapers and oh my god
0: <laughs> and the shock of a <laughs> newborn yeah
1: pretty much wow
0: that that must have been rough to hear that example thrown at you i mean there there can't be anything worse yeah to say like okay yeah no i'm doing pretty good though uh <laughs> yeah
1: and then you add all your pregnancy hormones into it. So oh, the lady no. in the grocery store will say it to you and you just start to cry and you're <laughs> grabbing like, you know, a cantaloupe to blot your tears away and that doesn't really work because it's not absorbent. <laughs> so like there's a lot of stuff, you know, going on there and it's 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 a it's a lot to manage. Anyone that I see that's pregnant without diabetes, that's an intense experience. And then you add diabetes to it, it just ratchets it up just, just enough more that you might cry in the grocery store a little bit. Extra.
0: Oh, yeah. And that sounds like it's completely understandable because there's so many factors mm-hmm. going into it. Yeah. Oh, once you were pregnant, was it more or less difficult for you to control your blood sugars? Obviously, you were more it was like, and on again, top of it, but were they easier or harder?
1: Sure. So I'm not a clinician, and so anything that I say after this is Totally based on my anecdotal
0: experience, <laughs> so I, I don't
1: want anyone thinking, "Oh, this is what happens," because I'm not the Lorex of diabetes. But right. um, when I during the first trimester, I, I had I ended up low all the time. Mm. And talking to my friends who have type one who have had babies, they they kind of corroborated that. They said, "Yeah, I was low in the first trimester all the time too." Wow! And so that made diabetes like my A1C dropped immediately, and on paper that looked like it was easier to handle because my A1C was lower and my ranges were lower. But on the flip side of that, there was a lot of hypotracking and there was a lot of like fruit snacks and raisins and things that you were kind of force feeding yourself because you were trying to be above 50 for more than like 15 minutes out of the day. And so I found that with with all of my pregnancies and that was kind of tough. And then as you get to about the 22 week mark is when your placenta starts to produce anti-insulin hormones. So you develop insulin resistance as a pregnant woman with type one diabetes. So all of a sudden, you go from like, oh, I'm taking 22 units of insulin a day. Oh my God, now I need 30. Holy crap, now I need 40. And then by the time you're ready to deliver, sometimes you're taking three times the amount of insulin that you were at conception. And that's normal. Wow. But at the same time, it's a really big paradigm shift because it seems like it shouldn't require so much, like what the hell is going on in here that's making <laughs> all of this happen? It's, you know, but um, so there's, so every week or two, you have to be on top of what your numbers are doing because you're constantly tweaking everything that you're doing in order to achieve that that range that you're shooting for. And it's no small feat.
0: My goodness. I know you can't see this, but my jaw dropped <laughs> three times the <laughs> amount of insulin. That's, oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. With my daughter, I was taking 23 units a day before. And again, this is not what everybody does. It's just what I did. Right. But I was taking 23 to 25 units a day. And that was when I got pregnant. And I was taking 103 the day that I delivered her.
0: Oh, wow. My,
1: right? My... My insulin to carb ratio went from 1 to 10 to 1 to 5, I think, for my pregnancy with my daughter. Wow. Over the course of 37 weeks.
0: That's incredible. That's a big flip. But also Yeah, grading. and
1: none of your pants <laughs> fit. Yeah. So we like, will add that to that to that. Oh, so, my
0: goodness. Wow. That's wild. That is some insight that I would never have had otherwise. That's incredible to hear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah,
1: big changes.
0: Yeah. Um, can you tell us... Like what was expected of you from your medical team, like A1C or time and range or diet or exercise, I don't know uh, what they recommended for you.
1: Um, <laughs> did you say yes, yes to all of them, like they expected a lot. Um, so I, I want to go back to pre-planning really quickly because I went to I delivered, let me back up, I went for my endocrinology care through the Jocelyn Clinic in Boston, and part of their clinic was a pregnancy and diabetes clinic that they ran through Beth, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical right huh. across the street from Jocelyn. And so when I told my endo that I was planning my wedding and also in hopes of a baby in the next year or two, she immediately transferred me over to be cared for by the pregnancy team because she knew that that prep work was going to be powerful so that I would have a sense of what was expected before I even got to the point where I had to deliver on those expectations. And so I found that really helpful that she was telling me to keep my A1C uh, at a certain range at least three months before I got pregnant. And then these were the ranges and the goals while I was pregnant. And so none of it was a surprise upon becoming pregnant. And that that helped set me up mentally for what the journey was going to be like. But I also had access to a really good medical team right at the outset based on my affiliation with Jocelyn and then with BI. So for people who are planning a pregnancy and have the opportunity and the um, privilege of planning that pregnancy, it's good to get those those, uh, clinicians in line and in your phone at least so that you can make those calls immediately. Because right from the moment of conception, the whole thing is important and you have to ride that all the way through. And so having a team that you can count on immediately and not have to scramble is, uh, it does you a lot of, a lot of good because then you can just jump right into the control and the guidance that you're looking for instead of having to feel overwhelmed. Yeah.
0: And medical team can make a huge difference for support, for knowledge, for everything. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And also I was sitting in a pregnancy clinic that when I would go into the waiting room, there were eight or nine other women just like me wearing pumps and their CGMs and no and they're also pregnant. So I could look at them as, again, an anti-steel magnolia is like, look at them. She's going to give birth next right. week. She looks like she's okay. I can do this too. And like that, <laughs> because it fed that psychosocial uh, need that I had as well. I mean, on paper, it says you can get pregnant this way and manage your blood sugars that way. But seeing someone actually do it, it reinforces that you can do it too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned also that you you know, took three times the amount of insulin at, throughout the pregnancy towards the end. And, mm-hmm. uh, upon delivery, was that an immediate transfer back to your old ratios or did it take time to, you know, build back insulin sensitivity?
1: Oh, uh, well, even, even less than my, um, original ratio. So for both of my, from both my son and my daughter, and my daughter is eight and a half and my son is two and a half, um, you deliver. And as soon as you deliver the baby and the placenta outgo those anti-insulin hormones, right? Because the Mm placenta is gone too. And so you're left with uh, the the chaos of having given birth and then the hormonal changes that happen as soon as you do give birth. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times for me, they told me that I needed to cut my insulin down to a third of what I was taking at conception. So if I was taking 23 units, I would take a third of that after the baby's born. And then you kind of titrate up as you need to, but you're dealing with like a major hormonal shift. And then for people uh, like me who had C-sections, you're also recovering from uh, abdominal surgery, so like there's a lot going on, and you need to be gentle wow. with yourself as you kind of gear up <laughs> to do the next, the next phase of all of it. And again, that's not what everybody goes through, but I, I've i heard similar stories from my, my friends who've done the same
0: stuff. Wow, talk about a roller coaster of blood sugars, right? Though, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, wow, keeps you on your toes though. Mm-hmm. Uh, pregnant, uh, or did being pregnant have? Let me start that over. (laughs) Did being pregnant (laughs) –
1: I know. This is a very weird conversation to have.
0: (laughs) It's like a strange
1: one because I don't know you super well and we're getting way into my uterus. And this is like a – This is a really getting to know you sort of
0: thing. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Did being pregnant and having to have such tight control of blood sugars (laughs) make you stay tightly controlled after the birth? Or was that like let loose and get back to normal Carrie's diet and have fun?
1: (laughs) Um, well, so there, I think there's lots of different ways that can play out. So for, I have two kids, um, but I've been pregnant three times. And so that means that we had a miscarriage between my two Mm -hmm. kids. And so when I was pregnant with my daughter, I got pregnant right away. There was not any problem. And I just kind of saw that pregnancy through with um, complications here and there, but that weren't completely abnormal. Um, and I was able to maintain pretty decent control after my daughter was born because again, I got pregnant as wanted and gave birth as predicted and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm um, in trying to get pregnant with my son, it took us 25 months to actually get pregnant. And at the 19 month of, uh, trying, I did get pregnant again. And so after I miscarried that pregnancy, that was, we'd already spent a year and a half trying to get pregnant. So when you're trying to get pregnant with diabetes, that means you're maintaining attempted pregnancy A1C levels Mm. the whole time. So I was really burnt out. And then after having a miscarriage, I was even more burnt out. And so when we got pregnant a couple months after, um, after my miscarriage, my my son's arrival into my body was like, yes, I can do this. But after he was born, I hit a really bad slump of, of burnout uh, emotionally and physically because I just spent such a long time. It wasn't just one pregnancy. I spent years pretending to be pregnant and then almost a full year actually being pregnant. And so the emotional like, dude, I was burnt out. Like I can't pretend not to be. The micromanaging and spreadsheets of blood sugars and then spreadsheets of ovulation on top of blood sugars once we were dealing with fertility mm-hmm. issues was like, this is a lot of crap. And so when he was born, I just wanted like to kind of rely on the little, the least I could do possible while maintaining the highest level of health that I could. Yeah. And I I know that's not like what people would maybe want to hear, but that was the reality of what went on in my house. So that's, we're talking two very different pregnancies within the same family. (laughs) That's like, it can go so many different ways.
0: Yeah. And uh, like you said, the emotional toll, even without diabetes on that, it's just, that's a lot to have to, to try it, for yeah, that and then have yeah. a miscarriage and, um, yeah, we've had some similar stories in my family line and it's, it's a lot to go through. Mm-hmm. So, we, But okay.
1: I, will, I will say, though, the, the, mis, the miscarriage stuff and the infertility stuff was something that I dealt with pretty silently outside of my personal family and when I talked about that online, the diabetes community in general has been so supportive of, it, of its own in getting them through the diabetes stuff. But when that non-diabetes related thing came up, the community was just as supportive Mm. for me and the other women and families I know that were going through that. So just, it says an awful lot about a group of people that are united by one busted pancreas sort of thing that we will support one another through all of it, you know? Mm. And that's, that again is like, it's a testament to how this community really bands together and takes care of itself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. diabetes for life. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> Man. So, okay. Um, with the control back to the pregnancy, what was the recommended, if yeah. you don't mind sharing, the recommended A1C that they wanted mm-hmm. you to stay in or like the blood sugar range maybe?
1: Uh, well, so back in 2009 when I got pregnant with mm-hmm. my daughter, they wanted me at an A1C of seven or under. But my endo really stressed that she wanted me at a seven or under without hypoglycemia, huh. which when you're looking at things like standard deviation and yeah. time and range, that's not something that people said as often back then they they say it a little more now, but she she understood that lows were a tough thing for me, and so she wanted me to be in good control without sacrificing without pursuing a great a one c that just looks good on paper but actually had me low right. all the time and then when I tried to get pregnant with my son, uh especially because we were dealing with fertility issues, they wanted me at six and a half or uh-huh. under, yeah, and then throughout the pregnancy, I mean they wanted fasting blood sugars both times for between like sixty five and and 90 and they wanted postprandials under 140 and that just there's like a lot of business going on but you do what you have to do to get to the end of that 40 weeks so you can hug the thing that you spent all that right. time making so like the ends justify the means in that way but there's a lot of number management
0: sounds like it that's a lot of uh mm-hmm. math and spreadsheets and keeping a close eye on yeah. it yeah as i can hear in your voice it's completely worth it
1: It it really it is. Both my kids are at school right now, so I'm I'm
0: like, it's totally worth it.
1: (laughs) It's it's good to get like a two hour breather, but they're they're the best. They're the things I the little things I'm most proud of. Uh, Mm
0: -hmm. So during your pregnancy, what were the things that affected your blood sugars the most, if any?
1: My I, i that that insulin resistance thing that kicked in around 22 weeks rocked me because it was never the same. For more than a week and a half, I adjusted my basal rates and my insulin to carb ratio every five to eight days on the regular for both pregnancies, and I just found that to be so much, um, so much work. So the first trimester, albeit I was low for both of them, but like just eating more stuff, okay, I can I can (laughs) do that. (laughs) But like, but having to respond almost real time to all the different needs uh, after the twenty-two week mark, I found that to be pretty, pretty intense. And those were that's a tougher part of pregnancy because you're bigger and you're going to the clinician more often. And I also made the really good slash bad choice of having my medical team uh, a two hour drive from okay. where I live, and so every time I was going to see my endo and my high risk uh, maternal fetal medicine uh, clinician, I was driving two hours oh. one way, and so everything it became like a like a hamster wheel of doctor's appointments and blood sugar data and hormones. So that like I know every bathroom stop <laughs> between South County, Rhode Island, and. Uh, yeah, I
0: <laughs> so within that pregnancy, you had those crazy uh, increase in insulin and, and the lows during the first trimester. But during the delivery, how are your blood sugars then? I would anticipate with all the stress and pain that it would spike. But what was your experience with that?
1: Ah, so I cheated, <laughs> kind of. And so I had, um before my daughter was born, they diagnosed me with some uh, retinopathy that was really near the macula of uh, my oh. left eye. And so they just, they determined around my 32 week mark of pregnancy that they didn't feel comfortable with me delivering vaginally because they were afraid that if I pushed, I would blow out Uh, my eye. And so they were like, so that dictated, so my baby was a, I mean, my daughter was under seven pounds when she was born. She was, you know, my pregnancy was well controlled. My A1Cs were great. So the kids weren't big, but they both came out uh, via C-section because they didn't want me to push and, and do something bad to my eyes. So I never had active labor. I, (laughs) you know, like. None of that, and I feel really guilty about that because people talk about, "Oh, I pushed for forty hours." I'm like, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) But on the flip side, like they didn't spend six weeks recovering from abdominal surgery, so like there's a there's a push and pull to the whole sort of thing. But I've I've never my babies don't get out the way they get in, and I guess that's just that's all I know. So (laughs) my blood sugars were great during delivery because it took only forty minutes, and I was on an insulin drip and a lot of painkillers. So
0: <laughs> Well, that's a good hack then. I guess that worked. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Knowing what I know, I would never recommend a C section, but I'm very grateful because I feel like my health and my kids' health are great because my medical team helped me and they dictated after a fashion what would be the best mm-hmm. way to get this done. And so I'm grateful for the fact that they were tuned into even the littlest of things to help protect yeah. me all the way through.
0: Okay. Well, then speaking of hacks, uh, what is like a hack that you learned during pregnancy as diabetes related?
1: Pregnancy, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'd have to think on a pregnancy one, but um, I decided to breastfeed my kids. And so when my kids were very small, like infant, and I was recovering from giving birth and trying to figure out what my insulin rates and ratios and all that stuff were supposed to be, breastfeeding can make you really low while you're doing it because it burns a bunch of calories. Yeah. So you can have really bad lows while you're breastfeeding huh. or just afterwards. And so like between the couch cushions in our house, um, we would keep like fruit <laughs> snacks or raisins so that I didn't have to get up while I was feeding my kids because I could just reach into the couch and it was that's like a tiny amazing. trove of snacks. And that's a gross <laughs> thing to say. Yeah. But, but we did it for a couple of weeks and like, it was, it was great because it was tough to, you know, jump up on your feet after you've had abdominal surgery and you don't want to jump up if you're trying to feed your baby anyway, because they <laughs> might go flying. So it's always good to have the snacks like in a nice oh, easy yeah. to reach sort of area. Which makes my house sound <laughs> filthy, which it's not. But um, but yeah, well, we did what we to had jump to do. Up when
0: you're going low, yeah, you know, that's that's a tough thing to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's but it's stuff like that that moms with diabetes like everyone there's a, a tendency to talk about just A1Cs and just how you delivered your baby and what was your you know insulin to carb ratio at delivery and that sort of stuff. And that's great information, but it's not it doesn't mm-hmm. apply to everybody. But Needing to keep snacks readily available while you're breastfeeding—that's a more yeah. cross collateralizing <laughs> sort of topic because that's something that we all, if we make that choice, decide um, to do. And then just there's all those little nuanced things that people with diabetes—it's not limited to pregnancy. Like, what tape do you use to hold down your CGM, or what do you, you know, what do you keep on hand while you're doing a like a hundred-mile bike ride? Like, th- that's the stuff that we share that makes living with diabetes easier.
0: Absolutely. It's those little tips that you just don't think about until it's time to use them. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. And then you're like, thank you. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, Caitlin, what is one tip that you wish someone had told you beforehand that you would have been better prepared for what to expect?
1: In terms of uh, pregnancy?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, there would be two things. The first would be uh, that diabetes is not the only factor to consider when you're planning your family. There are a hundred different things to take into consideration, be it your family dynamic, how you want to grow your family, if you want to have kids in the first place sort of thing. But like dealing with the um, uh, infertility between my two kids was something that I didn't expect because I was so accustomed to not making insulin that I was very confused about not being able to make a baby. And Mm. so lining those two things up, I wish that I had had a broader perspective on, it's not just conception, delivery, start to finish, that there's a really different journey that every pregnancy takes and that I would have been more aware of that. So I would have been a little less shocked uh, when it didn't go according to plan the first time around. Um, And then I think the second thing, so that's kind of a more serious thing, but the second thing was I found myself so fixated on getting pregnant and safely staying and being pregnant that I kind of didn't plan what to do when the baby was born. And so (laughs) I was totally ready to be a bunch of weeks pregnant and go in and deliver the baby. And then I was like, oh my God, we have to bring it home. It stays here forever. Like we're going (laughs) to how do you put the onesie on with the snaps at the crotch? And like, what do you do if it throws up on you and poops at the same time? Like what is happening? I didn't think about any of that. So I wish I'd done a little planning about parenting and pregnancy instead of just pregnancy. (laughs) So (laughs) that might, that might be the other thing.
0: That sounds like an incredible tip that I'm going to take to heart (laughs) because I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, I'm like, yeah, I haven't thought about any of that either. I don't have any kids yet, but that's in our future. And well, hopefully. And, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't thought about the actual parenting part. I'm just thinking about helping my wife get through the pregnancy part.
1: Yeah, that's right. And then and- they hand you your baby and you go, oh my God, this is here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. I have to name you. Oh my God. So- <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm responsible for you. Oh no.
1: That's yes, dude. That's it. And then and then on the diabetes front, you have to start explaining diabetes to your kids. You have to explain like, no, not all the other parents wear pumps. Your parent is just particularly cool, or yes, I am gonna steal the fruit snacks out of your lunch bag because I need them more. <laughs> like it gets it gets super weird, super fast, but I kind of hope, and I, I my kids kind of prove it to me, that growing up with a parent who has to put their health first a lot of the time and to be very aware of what's good health and what good habits might look like and what it's like to really work hard at something that doesn't always manifest in a way that you're you're planning is that I think it teaches them a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding mm. for what it's like to not be able to take the easy road everywhere. Yeah. And I hope that that serves my kids well, that they see their mother trying really hard, not always getting what I want out of it, but still putting the effort in every day so that if they're ever up against any kind of hurdle, they'll look at maybe me or people like us and go, oh, well, if they can do that every day, I can continue to try to work towards this particular goal.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I uh, I knew a girl in high school, her mom had multiple sclerosis. and mm-hmm. We always wondered why she was so driven. And she you know, opened up to us one day and let us know, my mom, if she can get up every day with multiple sclerosis, walk to work, work a 10-hour shift, and come home so that I can go to school, yep. I'm going to make sure that I work my butt off and do my best to make her proud. Because if she can do that, I can do anything. I don't have mm-hmm. anything holding me back. What's my excuse? And so it gave her that drive to keep pushing and never give up. And it was incredible yeah, sure. to watch that.
1: Sure. And then you kind of spoke to something else too, because you didn't know that she was dealing with that until she made that disclosure. I think it Mm -hmm. makes our kids a little aware of, even if you see something that looks like it doesn't have any uh, foreseeable issues or any current issues, you don't know what's lurking behind the surface. You don't know what people are dealing with until they make the decision to tell you about it. And so I I hope it makes them a little gentler with everybody, including themselves, because Mm -hmm. not everybody is just kind of hopping along all rainbows and unicorns all the time, that there's There's stuff that people deal with, and being kind to one another is a really undervalued but super appreciated asset.
0: Absolutely. It makes a difference in the world. It really does. Mm -hmm. Well, those are the majority of my questions. I mean, did you have anything else that you wanted (laughs) to add into pregnancy or the life after pregnancy or anything with diabetes? No, Did
1: I scare you off from it? Because you mentioned that this could be in your future at some point, so I didn't (laughs) completely weird you out, right? (laughs) Oh, my goodness.
0: No, that's actually – it could be in the near future. So my wife's currently Mm -hmm. in grad school. And, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, we were talking about right after grad school, hopping on the the family Family train. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. It's, it is, it's, um, it's a party and, and it's completely like everyone says, oh, but it's worth it as they're covered in dirty laundry and whatever. But it really, it really, it really, really is. If that's, (laughs) yeah, oh, they're always, but then sometimes they're not mysterious and you're like, I have to shower. I'm very sorry. (laughs) But, um. (laughs) But like it's, if, if this is what you, what you want to do, it's really, really rewarding and kids are so nice. So I hope you guys are, are, are lucky in that way.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. I appreciate you coming on today. I know that we have a lot of listeners who uh, are curious about that future with pregnancy and you know, maybe not trying right now, mm-hmm. but, um, they want to know what's, what's the 411 on it. And so I'm glad that you were able to give us that insider <laughs> tips and, uh give us some insight into what it's really like. So thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Guys, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please let us know what you guys want to hear more of. We've got some exciting interviews coming up with the experts. Got some storytellers, got some doctors, got some really cool stuff coming up. But please let us know what you want to hear. Have a great day, guys, and keep up the fight.